What's up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live. Josh is going to be joining us momentarily. We've got some schedule leaks that we're going to dig into on tonight's episode ahead of the official schedule release at 1 p.m. Central Time uh, by the Big 12. We'll talk about all that. We'll talk about the what might be the culmination of Jeff Levy Gate on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live. Tonight's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started today. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Hope everybody's staying warm out there. It's been quite a wintry day across the uh, Oklahoma landscape and you know Dallas-Fort Worth and other places beyond. But we've got our first look at, at the schedule um, according to a couple leaks, uh, one over at UCF and one at TCU. And basically what I have to say to UCF is, come on, like you're going to be the reason the Big 12 can't have nice things. So get it together. Uh, so it looks like uh, from what I've seen, TCU will be going to Norman on the last or the last Friday of the regular season to play the Oklahoma Sooners. And I found first, I want to start here because I find this the most interesting thing I, for the second year in a row. Bedlam doesn't look like it's going to be in the last week of the regular season, Josh. Yeah, that's a good point. And does that mean that there's no Bedlam at all? So that that's definitely uh, that's definitely a possibility. A couple of things that I took away from just the TCU leak itself. So TCU, if this schedule that was put up onto their official athletics website tonight and then taken down, but not before the internet said, eh, screenshot, we've got it. Uh, if it's to be believed, which I think probably there's a great chance this is official at Houston on September 16th, John. And then let's see, versus BYU. So that tells us that they're traveling to one of the new schools and they're hosting one of the new schools. The other interesting wrinkle to it, John, is they host Texas and they travel to Oklahoma. So the Black Friday thing aside, if you thought that maybe uh, some of these existing schools were only going to play one or the other in Oklahoma and Texas, John, the first schedule that we think is official and we've gotten a peek at in TCU no, they're playing both Texas and Oklahoma. So those were the two wrinkles from the TCU portion of it that I thought were kind of interesting. I mean, that's a fantastic point there on the TCU and Oklahoma or the Texas and Oklahoma front. We kind of assumed, presumed that probably these schools will only get one or the other. But given the way the scheduling is going to work out, it looks like you know TCU might get both OU and Texas. Congratulations. You went to the college ball playoff. Now you get to play at both Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that works with the rest of the schedule across the rest of the conference. Once we see more details on that front, I I'm still just kind of intrigued by the idea that potentially bedlam doesn't happen. And if it doesn't happen to me, this is just Oklahoma state just crying like a little baby and be like, no, we don't want to play Oklahoma. We're going to take your ball and go home. And if that's the case, man, I, that's just, I don't know. It's just kind of soft. We'll see. I'm sure. 
I would be shocked if Bedlam's not on the schedule, but I'm also shocked that it's not the last week of the regular season. Given the fact that this could be Oklahoma's last chance or last time, last season in the Big 12, and this could be the last Bedlam for who knows how long, wouldn't it not create a much more energetic and dynamic environment? Maybe Oklahoma State doesn't want to go to Norman on that last week of the regular season to have to deal with that. But I feel like it would create a whole different buzz to be like, okay, last game of the regular season, last game for Oklahoma in the Big 12, potentially the last bedlam for a decade, maybe. How much intrigue would that create for both sides of that wanting to go out kind of on a high note, especially you know the Oklahoma State side wanting to go to Norman and, and potentially spoil what could be a return to the Big 12 title game. So just a lot of really intriguing factors on that. The other element is that, that Oklahoma – Looks like they're going to be hosting uh, UCF, according to Brandon Huffman of uh, 2-4, sorry, Brandon Marcello of 247 Sports. Uh, the Sooners will get Dylan Gabriel's former team in Norman. Now, I don't see a date on that unless Josh has found it. Um, so it looks like they'll get that team. Hopefully, we'll get another one of the new four. My, my pick would be to go to BYU, to go to Provo. But again, they're not asking me. Brent, Brett Yormark didn't call me to ask my opinion on the Big 12 schedule. So uh, getting UCF, so you get TCU, you get UCF. Kind of an intriguing start because I feel like of the four teams that are coming to the conference, I feel like UCF is the biggest threat of the four uh, coming into the Big 12 next year. It's a no-brainer for the Big 12 schedule makers to have Oklahoma and UCF play because of the Dylan Gabriel factor here. Uh, you know, obviously – he and Jeff Levy's track record at UCF, I mean, just the history there makes it an obvious selection that those two would play, whether it was going to be here, whether it was going to be there. Uh, it, that was sort of an obvious, I think, you know, newcomer for Oklahoma to play. And again, if the TCU schedule is supposed to tell us anything about how this is going to work for the rest of the Big 12 teams and certainly for Oklahoma, then guess what? Again, I go back to the fact that they're – traveling to Houston and they're hosting BYU, which tells me, John, that, okay, we've got the leak that Oklahoma is hosting UCF. That tells me you're going to Houston, Cincinnati, or BYU. And I think there's a really good chance it is BYU because again, when you get into the, what creates the most intrigue, well, BYU, the last time they played beat Oklahoma. So there is some intrigue there. Then for BYU defending, I know it was uh, many, many moons ago, that they, uh, they beat, uh, what, Oklahoma down in Jerry's world? So that's that's an interesting angle that, okay, now they get to play Oklahoma and they get to do it in Provo. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the interesting aspect of that. Just One, just also the scenery. and like Who wouldn't love a September or October road trip up to Utah and to be in the mountains and all that? I think it would just be a lot of fun, be beautiful. I got family up there, so a little bit selfish on my part too, but uh, it, it could be a lot of fun. I think, I mean, I don't know if Oklahoma and Texas are going to be quote unquote screwed when the schedule comes out. I, I think there won't be any favors handed out, so to speak, uh, as far as their travel is concerned. And I think that's going to be the other elements of this that I'm, I'm interested to see is, okay, how many road games in a row are they going to have to play? What's their situation going to have to be like after the Red River showdown? Is this going to be a team that is going to play Red River and then go on the road? To, to play a team like a Kansas state or something like that. Are, are they going to get a favorable matchup after the red river showdown? 
So just a few more of the questions that, that will be kind of intriguing to follow, which we'll break it all down on tomorrow's episode. Once we get the official schedule, again, the Big 12 plan to, re- to release the schedule at 1 p.m. Central Time tomorrow, January 31st. We'll get a full look at what the Big 12 is looking at on Tuesday. We're going to continue to talk. I mean, we, we talked Jeff Levy. Seems like the Jeff Levy saga is over, Josh. Certainly notable if Jeff Levy's sticking around. So that uh, that is huge news. Super Bowl, it is set. Uh, I know when we looked at it at, well, the onset from FanDuel that uh, Philadelphia was a point and a half favorite. And FanDuel, this is where you can get in on the Super Bowl 57 action. Just head on over there, FanDuel.com back backslash locked on for first time folks when you place your first five dollar bet you get 150 dollars guaranteed in free bets if you join today and place that first five dollar bet so what a great way to get in on the super bowl action football fans don't miss out place your first five dollar bet to get 150 dollars in free bets win or lose fanduel.com slash locked on they've got their app that's uh, safe secure super easy to use so check that out as well and make every moment more with fanduel the official sportsbook partner of the nfl jeff levy we think is sticking in norman it sure looks like it uh according to reports uh, that i was seeing kind of over at oh you insider from brandon drum people they talk to it's levy sticking no no real news there that he's kind of turned down Alabama at every turn, but Alabama has been in hot pursuit. But I think at this point, what we're seeing now is Nick Saban, Alabama starting to kind of turn their attention elsewhere, going out to the PAC 12 to, to look at another potential offensive coordinator candidate. And that is, where is it? You sent it to me, Josh, and now I can't find it. It was a uh, grub, right? From Washington. The, yeah, the Ryan grub, the Washington offensive coordinator, Ryan grub is apparently the target now, according to a two, four, seven sports report. So, or sorry, Athlon sports report. So good for, for Oklahoma, in my opinion, that Jeff Levy is going to be sticking around and I think he'll stick around for several more years. I mean, there's a reason why we feel so good about this recruiting class. And one of it, one of those things is Jackson Arnold. And I don't think Jeff Levy would get Jackson Arnold to come to Norman and then bail before he ever got a chance to coach him. Jackson Arnold came to Norman in a big way because of Jeff Levy and what he's able to do offensively. So I I just, it never made sense. And I know I kind of took a little bit of the devil's advocate approach uh, a couple weeks ago when I talked about why would it make sense? But yeah, like you, Josh, I felt like it never made sense for Levy to leave Norman after one year for a lateral move. If he is going to leave Norman, it's going to be for a head coaching position, if that ever becomes a, an opportunity for him. Uh, but otherwise, I think he's sticking in Norman for quite some time. Well, and you've got Dylan Gabriel back. There's a lot to be excited about with what's going on offensively at OU. They've, they've done some interesting things out of the transfer portal. I think Caden Green is somebody that could potentially step right in and be a difference maker, which you don't see a ton of, especially at offensive tackle. But uh, he could be that kind of guy. And if not this season, then, John, I think as soon as 2024, that's a possibility for Caden Green. So the uh, the two running backs that they've got in both Sachuk and Javante Barnes, very, very exciting there. I mean, what were we everybody's oohing and on and gushing over what they saw from Sachuk, that track speed. We finally saw it on display in the Cheez-It Bowl. So that's back. The wide receivers. 
Jalil Farouk, I think, is a, a nice little starting point. And probably Jeff Levy and Oklahoma staff, John, they've got a better understanding of what they already have or what they already have in, in-house in the development that could take place as quickly as this offseason with both, say, a Nick Anderson and a Jaden Gibson and, oh, by the way, a Jaquay's Petaway and a Keon Brown. So there's plenty of toys already on campus to be pretty excited about. And you mentioned it. Down the road, yes. Uh, the next couple of seasons after that, you got a five-star quarterback in Jackson Arnold. So in Oklahoma, John, the history of offensive coordinators here at OU – it's been, you know, look, I know what the track record for the last five guys down with Nick Saban at Alabama has looked like. Guys that have kind of rehabilitated their careers or have gotten head coaching jobs. Guess what? Not that Oklahoma's been a, you know, come fix yourself spot for offensive coordinators, but this has been a job where, guess what? You get other jobs. You get head coaching jobs by being the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. So it wouldn't be like Levy leaves OU to go to Alabama and all of a sudden he's in this position where now he's better positioned to get a head coaching gig. I don't think that's the case. So everything financially, the numbers, I mean, is Alabama really going to pay more than Oklahoma's paying right now, John? Probably not. So everything sort of made sense for him to stay in place. Yeah, it would be hard for me to imagine him going north of $2 million as an offensive coordinator at Alabama. And I think you would have had to do that in order to pry him away from Norman, pry him away from a situation with relationships that he's comfortable with and with a recruiting class that he really likes and a, a group on offense that he really likes. I think you hit all the high notes there and that you know Dylan Gabriel being back, the, the connection those two have, the relationship they have is a big part of why I think a lot of people feel like Oklahoma is going to continue to be improve or they're going to improve this season. Uh, like Warren Hopkins just states, I, I, he says, I hope Levy opens up the offense a little bit more. I do too, it, especially if it means going at the stakes. We've talked about that a ton on the show where my biggest issue, a lot of times my biggest complaint with this offense is how often they throw behind the line of scrimmage and, and sometimes four or five yards behind the line of scrimmage on swing passes. I'd love to see them going downfield more, attacking more. And and that's not even to say, hey, you got to throw 30-yard bombs, 40-yard bombs every time. But just you know, throwing more into that 5 to 10-yard range where you're allowing your guy to make a catch and then make a play after the catch. That's kind of what I'm looking for is let's attack the first down marker every down. That way you're not having to be better. You're not having to worry so much about being better on third down because you're you're getting first downs on first downs or first downs on second downs. So attack the sticks a little bit more. But yeah, I like that Levy's back. I love continuity. Uh, you know, my Dallas Cowboys, they just let Kellen Moore go to the Los Angeles Chargers offensive coordinator. And yeah, he had his ups and downs, but I'm a big fan of continuity, especially on the offensive side of the ball where chemistry is so important. And having chemistry between your coordinator and your quarterback and having both of those guys back, I think that's just huge for your offense. That that's gonna allow everything else to kind of come around them where you do have a little, you do have some question marks, you know, wide receiver too. You, you have question marks on the offensive line a little bit. You got, you know, you don't really have a question mark at tight end. You feel really, really good about the running backs that you've got coming, you know, taking a step up and becoming the primary focus in the running game. So having the offensive coordinator and the quarterback continuity, that's absolutely huge for this team. And so Jeff Levy coming back, I think it's just going to help propel them to an even better season than they had last year. Again, a season where they averaged more than 35 points per game and would have won more games had the defense made a few more stops than they were able to 
you know, especially down the stretch. You mentioned hitting that intermediate area and, you know, Brayden Willis had a, a really good final season uh, at Oklahoma, but Austin Stogner, what we've seen from him in the past, hopefully that's somebody that, you know, and bear with me a little bit on this, but hopefully he's back fully healthy and mobile to the sense to where John, they can use him like Kansas city uses a Travis Kelsey a little bit. Right. I mean, he's just sort of terrific off script. and can go get some stuff in the middle of the field. That to me will make Jaleel Farouk and a lot of these other wide receivers better. If Levy, if Gabriel, if they, use him in that capacity, right? Use your tight end, feature your tight end as much as possible and use that in that intermediate over the middle type, uh, you know, 10 to 15 type range. I feel like, you know, so many times this season, we just didn't necessarily see a lot of that for Oklahoma. So maybe somebody that they feel like, again, if he's back, if he's, if he's healthy, if he's running well, uh, shows the durability, which at times, you know, has been a problem. If you've got that at your tight end position, then maybe that opens some of these other things up. But I'm with you. I mean, just continuity in general is huge for OU. You're not worried about any sort of installation of language. I don't know how much necessarily that handicapped Oklahoma. To me, where I'm sort of at with the offense, John, is I think uh, obviously you need a wide receiver or two to, to take a big leap forward. I feel good about what you have in Jalil Farouk, but you need multiple wide receivers to step up, whether that's the two that you had on campus in Gibson, Anderson, and then, you know, you're signing Petaway, Brown. If, you know, those guys take steps to be immediate impact guys, but larger than that, man, to me, it's how are you going to hold up on the two, two tackle spots for Oklahoma? Because that's what, that's what you're replacing offensively that I'm, I think is going to create the biggest challenge for you potentially offensively. And, you know, as this off season goes along, John, maybe I or others aren't going to make enough of uh, enough of a stink about that and what Oklahoma is replacing in both Anton Harrison and Wanya Morris. Ultimately though, for me, you look at where this offense was, John. And again, if they get really good tackle play, similar to what they had NFL play on both sides, then, to me, the offense is going to be – I mean, that's going to be – that's not an issue for Oklahoma next season. I think they'll be explosive. Yeah, that will be one of the bigger question marks on the offense in addition to wide receiver two. But I think we feel like we have really, really good answers everywhere, whether it's Tyler Guyton and Walter Rouse at tackle, the wide receiver position, as you mentioned, the several guys, including you – know, you didn't mention, but Andrew Anthony – LV Bunkley Shelton, JJ Hester. You got three guys with a little bit of experience that will be part of that wide receiver competition and rotation as well. So just a lot to feel feel good about. At least feel like, okay, there's enough talent in Norman that the competition should be really, really good. Even at tackle, I think, you know, even if it becomes like Aaron Parks and Walter Rouse battling out at left tackle, Tyler Guyton and Caden Green or Savon Bird or, or whoever. I mean, there's going to be competition across the offensive line that I think will will kind of raise everybody's game, and, and that'll make things a little bit a little bit better. Uh, another thing that we want to touch on on tonight's episode: a couple questions, really kind of hypotheticals. The first one is: Is Mike Gundy facing kind of a crossroads season in 2023? And we we kind of went down the rabbit hole of what this. You know, Oklahoma State State team kind of lost in the transfer portal, how things were going for them just after the season finished. They had a terrible end of their season. 
mean, they started off really, really strong, but they really struggled down the stretch. And a lot of guys bolted. You saw Tarek Mason decide after one season that he was done. So for Mike Gundy and the Oklahoma State Cowboys, are they facing kind of a pivotal season, a crossroads season for their program? Because, I mean, the last two years were kind of the peak of their program over the last decade. You know, two years ago, they make it into the Big 12 championship fall. Yeah, they fell just inches short of winning it. Sorry, I'm getting all my my confused. Yeah, they fell just inches short of beating Baylor there in the Big 12 title game this past year. Then they weren't able to kind of build on that and took a step back. So, yeah, Josh, what do you think? Do you think Mike Gundy is kind of on the hot seat a little bit? Will he ever be on the hot seat in Stillwater? Or is it one of those things where – they'll just kind of let the string play out until he decides he's done. I don't think that he's on the hot seat, but if things go horribly wrong in 2023 for Mike Gundy, then probably he would be approaching that territory, if not in that territory heading into 2024. So I don't think that he's there right now. Right. I think you get, uh, you get the, and this was an injury laden year for Oklahoma state and things could have gone much differently if they didn't have to deal with some of the problems that they had with Spitzer Sanders in terms of the health department. So that part, I think you get a little bit of a pass on what Oklahoma state fans won't give Gundy a pass on is again, the, you know, I'm looking at the story that we're talking about here by Shahan J. Raja over at CBS sports. I mean, he's literally, he's got a portion of this story, John titled roster Exodus. When you have that going on, the way that uh, Oklahoma State has had this this offseason. And, oh, by the way, Oklahoma State's not this juggernaut recruiting school. Like, like there's not optimism of the, of the future to fall back on based on what the recruiting class looks like and these transfer portal additions. There's good transfer portal additions that Oklahoma State's had, right? But they're not going and getting uh, the, the absolute top, top players out of the transfer portal. They're not getting just left and right blue chip talent out of the transfer portal. So look, if you're not doing either of those two things, if the signing class is middling and the transfer portal additions relative to what the best transfer portal halls are nationally, if that's sort of okay and maybe to middling, and then all of a sudden you stack up another bad season. Yes. I think then all of those forces combine to where, Finally, Mike Gundy, who remarkably has been, in terms of power football, almost immune to criticism, it feels like, a lot of times throughout his tenure. I think that he would be he would be facing that heading into 2024. I thought I hit the button, the stupid mute button. I want to turn our attention to another potential hypothetical, and that's who needs a win more in 2023 in the Red River Showdown, the Oklahoma Sooners or the Texas Longhorns uh, over at uh, 247 Sports, also via uh, CJ Moom over at the Longhorns Wire. They basically say that Texas is one of those, one, one of eight teams that needs to beat their rival in 2023. I mean, don't rivals always need to beat their rivals? Uh, that feels like a kind of an obvious question there, but who needs it more, Josh Helmer, Texas or Oklahoma? It is evergreen and probably every single rival was, Oh, we got to beat them. You know, Ohio state is a no brainer. They were on this list, right? I mean, it's important that they flip the tide in that rivalry versus Michigan, given that Michigan's won now back to back big 10 championships and has 
beating Ohio State, even though Ohio State went to the net, went to the college football playoff, and oh, by the way, was a field goal away for playing for a national championship. It probably would have won a national championship if that field goal uh, hadn't been what what was it, just shanked wide left versus Shank. Georgia. But that's neither here nor there. That's Shank an easy one. That's an easy one, right? Ohio State, yeah, they got to beat Michigan. I mean, it's gigantic for both. I I feel like it's more important for Oklahoma because of the way they got demolished in this game uh, this past October, because of just the outright disaster that Oklahoma, Texas was 49 to nothing, everything that went into it, not having any sort of competent backup quarterback play. I, I think that makes it to where it shifts in Oklahoma's favor to where you can't, you can't, number one, get embarrassed the first time you coach in the game as as uh, Brent Venables did, John. And then number two, back it up by losing the game again. When number three, you're off to the SEC very shortly afterwards. So reestablishing that Oklahoma's the, the alpha, they own this rivalry, they've been the preeminent uh, force in the Red River Showdown, reestablishing that before you dance off together to the SEC – I think has great importance to OU and then just, you know, mixing in again, the embarrassment of this past red river showdown. I'm, I'm leaning Oklahoma, but this is the locked on Sooners podcast. And I'm sure that locked on Longhorns and every Texas person out there would say, ah, no, it's Texas. But I do think it's paramount for Oklahoma. And, and I think that's what it comes down to, right? In the right, in a rivalry, a true rivalry, both sides are going to say, Hey, our side needs it more. But I think of like the typical kind of the average Oklahoma fan. If nothing else happens in a given year, who's the one team that you have to beat? The answer is Texas. And for everything that you just laid out, having lost 49 nothing, having zero answers offensively, having zero answers defensively for the most part, and not being able to show any signs of life in that game, Oklahoma's got to have a better performance. And it, you hate to call it a must win as we sit here on January 30th, you know, nine months away from when they'd actually play the game, but it's kind of a must win. You don't want to go down O2 as Brent Venables and this coaching staff to Texas and then have to like worry about, Oh, will we ever beat Texas? Like, can't, will they beat them in year three? No, you want to like get that one out of the way. Brent Venables needs to have a strong showing in the cotton bowl in the red river showdown. So that kind of a, I don't know, alleviate some concerns or any you know, worry. I mean, there'll be just a few games into the Big 12 schedule, maybe like two or three games in the Big 12 schedule by the time the two sides play. So that game, as Brent Chapman mentioned, he said, you know, this could be a, a game that propels Oklahoma to a, a strong season. If they're able to beat Texas, which is going to be considered one of the favorites in the Big 12 next year, probably the favorite in the Big 12. If they're able to go down to the Cotton Bowl, beat Texas, you know, start off the, the Big 12 slate, you know, with at least one win in their first th two or three games, beat Texas, potentially that does give them a leg up on getting back into the Big 12 title game. It's a huge, it's a huge game for them every single year, but I think this year it does carry a little bit more importance on Oklahoma's side. Here's what, uh, let's see, who wrote this story? Raymond Lucas Jr. Here's what uh, the rationale for why he said Texas must beat Oklahoma quote after humiliating Oklahoma last season, Texas looks to do the, to do the same in 2023. 
The next meeting between the two, John, it's especially important because regardless of what naysayers may think, the Longhorns have plenty of momentum as a program, and dominating your rival only raises the ceiling. Texas has seen immense recruiting success and consistently found talent through the portal. If 2023 is indeed the year that it takes the next step, that will require a victory over Oklahoma. As the two prepare to depart for the SEC, Texas has an opportunity to capture a firm grasp on the rivalry. Oklahoma will be looking for payback when the two square off, but Texas, Texas should be the better team. Interesting. I, you know, we've seen that narrative out there. I think that's a perception that, you know, nationally there, there is probably more confidence in who, uh, in who Texas is going to be versus who Oklahoma is going to be in 2023. I, I like the additions that Oklahoma's made via the transfer portal. And I like some of the the pieces that you already had on campus, John, that are just naturally going to get a year older and wiser. And keep in mind, we didn't get to see Dylan Gabriel play in this game a season ago. So that alone means that Oklahoma's, I don't know, four touchdowns closer in, in this game. I mean, just to start off with leaving the starters blocks there. So I get a lot of what they're saying. I feel like you could make the same argument for Oklahoma. In the game, uh, again, I, that's sort of what I told you, uh, sort of what I told you, John, having a firm grasp on the rivalry heading into the SEC. I think sort of that's what's at stake in the game for both. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And the fact that Dylan Gabriel didn't play in this game gives me a lot more optimism that Oklahoma can't will go and win that game. The defense is going to be better. The offense will be in tremendously better an exorbitant amount of better. And even if Dylan Gabriel, for some reason, isn't available for this game, you got Jackson Arnold, which already makes you a much better offense than what you had a year ago. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, who knows if Oklahoma wins, if Dylan Gabriel is available for that game, but it's a much different ball game and it's a much closer ball game than anybody expects because, I mean, the offense actually doing something gives your defense a little bit of life. You know, it gives them a little bit of energy, gives them a little bit of pep. But after the way the, the second half started and kind of transpired offensively, yeah, the defense probably just had no hope. Like, well, we're not coming back in this one. So, uh, yeah, that it's, it's an unfortunate situation to be in where you kind of have to be in the must-win mentality. But you're probably going to be the underdog coming off of a 49-0 loss. It's kind of a must-win. But it could be a big-time statement win for the Sooners if they're able to come up with that one. Uh, yeah, big recruiting weekend for the Oklahoma Sooners. They had so many kind of four or five star guys in Norman for their junior day. Uh, what was interesting is you had guys like Michael Hawkins in town, but now he goes down and visits with TCU. Uh, we've talked about how TCU is now a player in this recruitment because of Kendall Bryles, his move from Arkansas to Fort Worth. It's, it's still really interesting. Parker Thune over at the OU Insider you know, uh, insider page talking about how he's not sure exactly when that commitment will come. He thinks it'll come soon, but it's definitely not happened on January 31st like was originally planned. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how much TCU is able to kind of get into the fold, get into the race a little bit on this, getting in a little bit later. I mean, they've been a part of the recruitment for so long, but I mean, for a long time, it's been Arkansas and Oklahoma. Now it seems like TCU all of a sudden gets a bit of life and a chance to a big time chance to, to get Michael Hawkins. Yeah. And let's see who all have we seen 
crystal balls in for lately. I believe Jeremy Payne was someone that we, we saw a crystal ball for. Is that correct? Yeah. So Jeremy Payne's gotten not crystal balls, but a couple uh, rivals, future casts one from gotcha. Nick Harris over at rivals. And then one from Josh McQuistian over at rivals at sooner scoop. And man, if they can, if they can get Jeremy Payne, if he commits to Oklahoma, that's another big time playmaker that you add to the roster uh, in 2024. I mean, just his speed, his vision, his elusiveness. When he catches the ball out in a route, he looks like a wide receiver, like full extension, you know, getting his hands up over his head, you know, attacking the football in the air, not in the way that running backs attack the football. Like that's a dude that I, I really, really hope that they land because he just looks like a DeMarco Murray type running back. He honestly, now that I think more about it, I mean, Jimmy Satterfield saying people's is better than Payne at running back. And maybe that's the case. Maybe that's true. But Jeremy Payne just looks like a smaller version of a DeMarco Murray, you know, a little bit lighter, a little bit shorter, but someone who has that do it all ability. Uh, the thing that we're seeing, whether it ends up being people's pain or both Caden Durham in that fold is DeMarco Murray is on a roll and he's going to get good running backs in Norman. So, you know, Payne's one. Uh, Casey Poe, I mean, they've had, there've been crystal balls in on Casey Poe uh, for quite some time. One recent uh, crystal ball came in for Aaron Flowers, the safety out of North Texas. And from our conversation with Parker just a couple of weeks ago, he thought that could, that's a guy that could be Oklahoma's first commit um, on the, on the, in the 2024 class. So Flowers isn't going to be a name to watch over the next week, several weeks. Uh, in addition to Hawkins, uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that all transpires. Yeah, some big-time names that uh, it'd be great if this uh, junior day could net a commitment or two here early for Oklahoma. You'd, you'd love to just kind of start getting the ball rolling downhill in 2024. Uh, it'd be great. And look, I I've told you I don't know how many times right here. To me, in this day and age of college football, if you tell me that a four-star safety is your first commitment in – a potential future signing class. I love that. I like starting with defense because I feel like you can always go pluck a wide receiver or a running back uh, away from somewhere else out of the transfer portal. Offensive tackles, high level, you know, again, this is exciting to see a blue chip offensive lineman. That guy may be more difficult to come by out of the transfer portal. So any anybody that's just defensive talent, period, John, or in the trenches, either way. If those are the first couple of commitments, if that's the initial foundation for this 2024 class, and it's a Flowers, or it's a Casey Poe, and okay, you add in uh, Xdavian Sims. I know that uh, Oklahoma hosted him too. That's uh, obviously a massive, uh, massive product that uh, Oklahoma would like to land in this class. Those are the types of talents we've mentioned. I don't know how many times Oklahoma's going to have to get those kind of guys. So if it starts there, That'd be fantastic for OU. I do think, John, I don't know if you have some some final junior day thoughts here before I think we just come back full circle and then and then bid you adieu. Unless folks just have some rapid-fire questions they want us to uh, touch on, feel free to just fire those away into the chat. I, I think we just circle back to kind of because we do have, you know, some you know viewers that weren't with us when we got in here off the top talking about the schedule leaks that we've seen in the big 12, anything you wanted to touch on or add to with junior day, John? Yeah. I just want to say that um, on Zadavian Sims, like what I mean, Michigan state is a player now for apparently every defensive lineman in Oklahoma. Like 
They, they're a player. They got by Job out of Norman. They're really heavily recruiting David Stone out of Dell City. And now Zadavian Sims, there's a crystal ball in on Zadavian Sims from Durant. So I don't know what it is. What, uh, what's got uh, the Spartans all juiced up about Oklahoma defensive line prospects. But this, to me, I'm, I'm really, really watching the David Stone and the Zadavian Sims recruitments really heavily. Those are two crucial recruitments for Todd Bates. You missed out on David Hicks. If Mel Tucker and Michigan state are able to come in again, after plucking by Joe right out from under your nose and end up with one or both of those guys again, I feel like that's a huge, huge loss for Oklahoma and, and, and really kind of a a shot across the bow at uh, Oklahoma preps and uh, at Todd Bates a little bit, Todd Bates, who's, a great recruit, a great recruiter, but man, if they're not able to land one or both of those guys in the 2024 cycle, I'll be really, really disappointed. Uh, you got to be able to get some of those guys. You're not going to get every single, you know, high schools, you know, four or five star out of your state. You're not going to get them all. You're just not. But if you lose arguably the three best defensive linemen over two recruiting cycles to the same school out of your state, to me, that's that's a big issue, and not, and that's not to say that Todd Bates isn't a great recruiter, isn't a great developer of talent, but it's a big issue. It just is. It's just a big issue. Um, I don't know what you do about it, except you you, you worry, you look a little bit more um, at what well, you got to do better on that front. So yeah, let, let's circle back a little bit before we get finished. Um, got a quick question here before we go back to the schedule, Bob F one one four. Who's the fastest reliable wide receiver on OU's roster right now? I mean, Jaquez Petaway isn't on the roster yet, so he doesn't technically count. He'll be a summer enrollee. Um, My best guess, maybe, shoot, J.J. Hester maybe? But I wouldn't even call him reliable yet. Maybe Gavin Freeman? I don't know. Yeah, that's – that's an interesting question that that's uh, I mean, obviously Oklahoma needs a couple more burners that they can count on, I think is the takeaway right there. And I think they might've gotten one in Jaquay's Petaway. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll all find out, I think uh, very, very quickly on that front. Hey, one thing uh, on the, the, the Michigan state thing, just real quick before we move on to uh, the schedule itself. I know that Oklahoma is coming off this disappointing six and seven, but one thing that's helping OU out is not like Michigan State's setting the world on fire, okay? They're coming off a of 5-7 and seven in their own right, and if that's uh, one of your chief competitors for some of these in-state kids, okay, that's great, and it's flashy, and it's fun, and Mel Tucker clearly is one heck of a recruiter, and the guys that he's got on that staff are heck of recruiters, but, man, I- I've said it before about Oklahoma. I, You know, there's only so long it's borrowed time being 6-7 and seven and pulling in the type of signing class that OU had. Same thing with Michigan State, John, to where they're not first in the East. They're not second in the the Big Ten East. They're not third in the Big Ten East. And this past season, I don't even think they were fourth. They were five and seven this past season. But they're so far a distant behind the curve of obviously Ohio State and Michigan. But even now, Penn State has separated from Michigan State and Mel Tucker after last season. So that part, uh, I think, uh, bodes well, potentially, for Oklahoma in the negative recruitment portion of that. So, okay. The uh, 
who starts at linebacker opposite Stutzman? What do you think? So it sounds like Deshaun McCullough at Cheetah. And I want to throw Jaron Kanick in there. I feel like he's got to be the front runner just with his speed, uh, his athleticism, his ability to make plays, the guy that just plays fast. And I think Oklahoma needs somebody like that. You know, Danny Stutzman, he's, he's fast enough, but I wouldn't put him out there. I wouldn't call him a fast linebacker, if that makes sense. He's fast enough to get to where he needs to, to make plays. He takes good angles to make plays, but I don't think of him as a fast linebacker. So, but you pair him with a guy like Jaron Canick, and now you've got two different body types at linebacker, two different athletic profiles. And I think that benefits you a little bit more than Danny Stutzman, David Igwebu, who were kind of the same guy, like kind of the old, the older school, big interior, you know, linebacker. I think by having a guy like Jaron Canick, it allows you to, to do a little bit more where you can kind of mix and match those guys and what they're doing, what their responsibilities are. They can play off each other, complement each other really well. And then you have a guy like Deshaun McCullough, who is just an athletic freak and a size length freak as well. And is going to allow Brent Venables and, and Ted Roof to do so many kind of crazy things with that trio because they're such different players and, and there's such different body types as well. So that, that'd be kind of my guess and, and my answer right now as things stand. Well, and do we, do we say keep an eye out for a Kip Lewis or, or somebody like that? I, I know that it's easy to fall head over heels for Jared Canick. And look, I'm, I'm right there with you. I am, I'm a part of the pep band and I'm leading the rally for Jared Canick. So I, I, I see the talent. I see just the natural speed and athleticism, but I, you know, probably a name like that should be on our radar too, to take a, a big jump. Just, just as you know, I, I would put that, not as high of a percentage chance, John, but at least worth worth keeping uh, on the the top of our minds here as a possibility. Okay, the the schedule. Circling back to sort of uh, where we started, are you happy about Black Friday football? Are people upset about? It? I know that Oklahoma fans kind of have a territorial. We only want to play on Saturdays, sort of view. But to me, it's sort of John. I kind of dig. I kind of dig a, a Black Friday game in Norman. Where, where are you at with it? So I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not the long-tenured Oklahoma fan that many people are, many of you that, that follow the show. I've, I've been an Oklahoma fan for, I don't know, 16 years or so. Um, and so I, I don't know where the that long-standing, you know, got to play on Saturdays idea comes from. Uh, being first an NFL fan, I'm like, you play on whatever day of the week. It doesn't matter. I don't like the Thursday games. I don't really like them for college either, but a Friday game to me, it, the black Friday in particular, that's just like an extended Saturday. That's like pre Saturday almost because you're already off, you know, the Wednesday, Thursday for Thanksgiving, you're off that Friday. What else you got going on? Unless you're, you know, you work as a nurse in a hospital like I do, or you do radio, like you're going to be watching the game. Like I'm not going out, you know, shopping on black Friday. Cause why? So I'm just getting geared up for Oklahoma and potentially TCU on a Friday in the fall. So I think that could be a lot of fun. You, you'll have a national you know, audience. There aren't going to be a ton of black Friday games. So you'll be kind of in a prime time window, a prime window to put your program on display against Chandler Morris of all people. So I, I like, you know, 
getting an opportunity to avenge what was a blowout loss last year against a quarterback I don't think is as good as the quarterback you faced last year at home in a situation where everybody's going to be watching. Like that's a great opportunity for TC or for Oklahoma to kind of put its best foot forward to finish the season strong. And I mean, again, that could be a game where you're playing yourself into the big 12 championship game. No doubt it could. Absolutely. That could be at stake for Oklahoma and every Oklahoma fan should have that expectation that that is what's going to be at stake for that TCU game. We'll see if they, they don't, you know, the Horned Frogs, find themselves in the market for a quarterback or two, a surprise transfer quarterback, maybe before it's all said and done, once the spring comes to a close. I know we sort of think, we sort of think what uh, the the quarterback situation might look like out there, that we've got it figured out or whatever, but uh, there could be still some shuffling for TCU for that game. But, man, I, I'll tell you what I dig about it. I dig just football in general on Black Friday, and I dig that it's in Norman, right? So – if uh, I, I know that just generally speaking, if you're from Tulsa or if you're from out of state, there's traveling involved anytime Oklahoma plays a home game. But for those that are in the Oklahoma City and in, in Norman metro area or even Dallas or Tulsa is not that far away. It's uh, it's kind of cool, right, to to get to play uh, a Black Friday game and you're right there. So you're already with family. Boom. Get the family. Go to the game. So, you know. I, I like football on holidays. It's, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, obviously, is synonymous with football. I dig when Christmas coincides with, uh, you know, NFL games, I think is awesome. So I'm all about it. Oklahoma playing on Black Friday. I'm not necessarily – I'm not I'm not up in arms, John, but I'm a little bit disappointed, I would say. And probably, probably a lot of Oklahoma fans are kind of at the point where it's like, you know what, enough. I'm so sick of hearing or talking about Bedlam if they don't want to play OU enough. But in my heart of hearts, I think it sort of sucks that you have this grand stage, this wonderful opportunity. It uh, it could have been a Black Friday game or a Saturday game in Stillwater, and that's not going to be the case. Your final ever Big 12 game probably is TCU on Black Friday in Norman, which it's cool that it's in Norman. Hopefully it's for a trip to a Big 12 championship, but that part of it I'm sort of like – uh, I mean, is that the opponent I want to be the final regular season Big 12 game for OU? I'm I'm fired up about Black Friday, but TCU, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, I don't know. I guess, whatever. Yeah, it could have been better if it was Oklahoma State, but doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. Uh, a few more questions here tonight before we get out of here. Again, thank you so much for being a part of Locked On Sooners Live. It's a great opportunity for us to just interact with y'all and chat with y'all. So if this is your first time here, welcome. If you're back for a number or your second or third or whatever time, again, thanks for coming back. Uh, Jimmy asks, will Peyton Bowen, sorry, Peyton. <laughs> I think he means Peyton Bowen, but maybe he's talking, will Peyton Bowman, Peyton Bowen and Billy Bowman uh, be the starters at safety. Uh, we talked about this uh, at length on our show yesterday, Josh, you think Peyton Bowen's going to have a chance to start at safety? I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to have a chance. I'm not forecasting that. I would uh, look at a couple of, I mean, the Reggie Pearson's an obvious candidate, right? And then probably you look at Robert Spears Jennings as, you know, the backup in one of the two spots for either Billy Bowman or Reggie Pearson. And then we'll see who that fourth guy in the safety rotation is. Could very well be Peyton Bowen. And because he's a five-star kid, John, 
I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe not straight away to start next year, but eventually if the guy's just got things figured out and he's just better and more talented, then put him on the football field. So do I think that he's going to? No. Is it uh, impossible? Absolutely not. Another question along that front. What about the player? Oh, you got out of the, out of the Tulsa area. Well, you got Gentry Williams, you got Robert Spears Jennings. I think either of those two guys could end up being starters for Oklahoma RSJ at safety Gentry Williams at corner. That's kind of my hope is that Gentry Williams uh, establishes himself in a way that he's able to be the starting cornerback opposite of Woody Washington next season. What about, uh, what about Jaden Rowe playing time this coming year? He was hurt, right? He is hurt. Yeah. He's, he's got a bit of an injury that he's working, working through, uh, but all, for all intents and purposes, he should be back and ready to go uh, for spring ball, at least for summer ball. Um, so I, I, I think it'll be fine. Um, and who knows, like he could definitely filter in or factor into that cornerback um, competition as well. Opposite of Woody Washington. You'll have to watch out for Kendall Dolby as well. The Juco transfer out of Northeastern Oklahoma A&M. Um, so there's going to be some, you know, some really interesting competitions going on this spring and summer at cornerback Gentry Williams, you know, Jaden Rowe, once he's healthy, Kale, uh, Kendall Dolby as well. But I also wouldn't rule out a guy like Macari Vickers or Jacoby Johnson coming in and making a statement early. You'll have Jaden Davis, I think, as a good like depth floor option for them at cornerback. But I don't I don't think that this year he'll be one of your starters at corner. I think there's a lot of really good, better, at least options with a higher ceiling, um, even if they don't have the experience yet. I, I think you got to start putting these guys out there to get them that experience and take advantage of that higher ceiling. Uh, and then Bob asks, if you guys got any more questions, feel free to throw them in the chat. We'll answer them here quickly before we get out of here. Do we think Archie Manning will be the starter for Texas? Not week one. I don't know if he'll start at all this year. I think he might get the red shirt treatment and then kind of be the, the next Peyton Manning where he has the, you know, the five years um, at Texas. But uh, it's definitely possible that he does start games if Quinn Ewers gets hurt or if he has a bad game or something like that, then they could definitely turn to, to Arch. But, I mean, I think it's Quinn Ewers. And, yes, did he have some ups and downs last year? Sure. But true freshman quarter – or sorry, not true freshman quarterback, but a freshman quarterback making his – you know, taking the opportunity to start for the first time, you're bound to make some mistakes. I mean, we saw it from Spencer Rattler. We saw it in year two with Spencer Rattler. So I think it's going to be Quinn Ewers. I think it'll be Quinn Ewers who we face in the Red River Showdown. And I don't mind that. And so that's, that's kind of where I stand on it. I'd be very surprised as well. I mean, to begin next season, I, I don't think so. Uh, some point through next year, similar to Oklahoma. I mean, to me, the because Arnold – and Manning are both five-star guys, and depending on where you look, the best quarterback in this class or right there up for that discussion, John, we have to entertain the possibility that maybe they're just so much better than the other option that they step right in and they're good enough to win that job, even with a Quinn Ewers coming back and with a Dylan Gabriel coming back respectively for both. But I think probably both coaching staffs look at the situation and say, we've got a couple of experienced options that – we're going to be better right now, day one, with both of these two experienced guys versus uh, you know either of these two rookie, super talented quarterbacks coming in. So to me, it would be a bad sign probably for one or both 
if that's the case. So I'd be very surprised. Don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think it's an okay thing. Like the fact that you have the opportunity to take your time and you don't have to rush Jackson Arnold or Arch Manning into the fold, you know, year one, day one, that's great. Like you have really good, like the Oklahoma Sooners have a really good quarterback. Is he, I mean, was he a Heisman contender last year? No. Could he be this year? I mean, why not? Like there's a chance that he could, but I think that it's more likely that Dylan Gabriel plays a full year. Oklahoma has a really good year. They're a big 12 title contender. And he's kind of on the outside looking into the Heisman trophy presentation, but I don't think that will minimize what I think is going to be a really good year for Dylan Gabriel and the Oklahoma Sooners offense. So yeah, when, when you have quarterbacks that are good, you don't have to worry about rushing your true freshman uh, in uh, at, at the position. So uh, unless there's any other questions, we're going to go ahead and start working our way out of here. Hey, uh, if you missed the video, go check out uh, OU basketball on whatever social media that you follow. Taylor Robertson, who just broke the NCAA's all-time three-point record, got to meet Steph Curry at a game tonight. So that was really cool for her. So shout out to her and congrats to her again on that uh, phenomenal feat. I mean, over 500 three-pointers in her career at the University of Oklahoma is just un- unreal. Um, and so that's just another neat element. Uh, we're going to have some more softball discussion as the next few weeks go along because we're not long. I mean, February 9th, actually that's shoot 10 days away, February 8th, February 9th, where the Oklahoma center softball program opens their regular season at the Mark Campbell invitational out there in California. And I mean, all American preseason, all Americans just up and down the lineup. And it's just going to be another phenomenal year for OU softball. We'll, we'll continue to get you ready for the start of that season. We'll continue to talk. Oklahoma offseason transfer portal. We'll have another, you know, transfer portal period later in the spring. We'll have spring ball previews, all kinds of stuff coming up. So make sure you're tuned in and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Again, over here on YouTube. Thanks for making Lockdown Sooners your first listen every single day. Again, we're free and available on all platforms. Also, go check out one of your other favorite, you know, favorite teams. They've got an they've got a locked on show, whether it's the Kansas City Chiefs or the Philadelphia Eagles. Go get all the coverage over at those shows here on the Locked On Network. But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll talk to you then. Boomer Sooner.